Here we go. Let me turn on my recorder. Uh, thank you. Uh, you may be seated. I'm not. I'm not mean and cruel. I'm not gonna make you stand the whole time. Kind of to do that to you. That's just mean. Um, well, welcome to 116 Bible Church. Uh, my name is Sean. If you don't know me, I'm the associate pastor here. And boy, howdy, am I pleased, delighted, happy, grateful, and just so happy to see your bright, smiling faces. Um, and we are very grateful, of course, to have Brother Jeff and his wife Pearl back with us this week. Um, they've had a very rough couple of weeks, um, but praise God that he has brought them back to us safe and sound in one piece. Um, I was very happy to see you, see you back with us, Brother. Um, let me see. Okay. Um, well, without any further ado, uh, we're going to be, sorry again, we still haven't um, started a new series. Uh, that is something I imagine we'll talk about soon. Um, but uh, until then, you get another one of my favorite passages, which is going to be Matthew chapter 9. Um, I'll give you a moment, just a moment to find it. Matthew chapter 9 will be beginning in verse 9 as well. Matthew 9, starting in verse 9. Everybody? Alright, Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. I do apologize, but if you have found it, and if you are able, I ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And after this, I'll let you sit back down for a very long time, so it's okay. Again, that's Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. And the Word of God says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you, God, again, to just, God, to just be in awe of who you are. Lord, you have blessed us with another week, another Lord's Day, another beautiful, blessed opportunity to come together as one people, as your people. God, to gather together under the banner of Christ, Lord, and to and to fellowship with one another and to spur one another on to holiness, Lord, and to dive into your very word for which we are eternally grateful. Because instead of leaving us where we were in the muck and the mire of our sin, drowning in hopelessness, headed for wrath, you communicated to us. And we thank you for that. So may this time together be one, be one of worship in your word, 
And may we as your people worship as your word has called us to in spirit and in truth. And may we be reminded that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is not a spirit of bondage, but there is instead freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so if you're if you were here with us last week, um, this might sound a little familiar to you because last week we actually talked about uh, my favorite parable in the Bible, which was the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And this week we're talking about Jesus calling as a disciple a tax collector. So um, there's going to be a little bit of overlap. We're going to be building a little bit on what we uh, what we talked about last week, but let's go ahead and give some context here uh, before we uh, before we start that. So immediately before this, um, we actually see Jesus. Um, basically, the man's on on a uh, on a miracle spree. Uh, he is uh, he is healing people. He's cleansing people. Uh, he's teaching. Uh, as he does um, in about the middle of the previous chapter about what discipleship looks like, what it actually costs. Um, and then we see um, him actually uh, speak to the winds and the waves on the Sea of Galilee and subdue them with his very own words. We see him heal two demon-possessed men. Um, we see him forgiving the paralytic. This is the account that we see expounded upon more so. Uh, in one of, and uh, one of the other Gospels, um, where his uh, four friends bring a man, a paralyzed man, on a on a cot, on a stretcher, um, to Jesus, and he heals he heals the man. <laughs> Actually, he says, "Your sins are forgiven." Uh, and then, to, you know, the, the Pharisees take issue with that. So he, um, in order to verify and confirm who he is, he also heals the man, and. Um, that, that, that happens immediately before this. Now the crowds, and that section actually ends, when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. And that leads us right into Matthew, the tax collector, being called as a disciple. And that is where we are picking up, and, after, and um, we'll talk a little bit about what comes after later. So, um, kicking things off with verse 9 of chapter 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. That's interesting because in the other two gospel accounts, they refer to him as Levi. Um, and in here we see where Matthew himself is referring to himself as Matthew. Um, and, uh, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons why this may be. We do, um, it could be very well the possibility of showing that um, Matthew is saying, you know, this this was me, Matthew. I'm the one who who was sitting at a tax collector. I, that that was my station in life. That's who I was. I was a tax collector. I was somebody who was not very well liked. Um, but we see also where Matthew, uh, and, and something that we really only see in the Bible, and even really in, in Christian literature. We see Matthew not hiding from his past. Now we're not saying that he's proud of it, that it's something that he he boasts openly about, um, that these are the kinds of things he used to do, but we see him not hiding from who he was in order to do what? In order to glorify God the more. Because when we when we are honest with who we were before Christ, we don't 
we don't boast in ourselves because of, because we know there's nothing in ourselves to boast, just like the tax collector in last week's parable. But instead, we we show the greatness and the mercy and the grace of God and how far-reaching that is. And that's what I think Matthew's doing here. He's saying, I, Matthew, was sitting at a tax booth. I was cheating and extorting my own countrymen, my people, the ones who, whom I claim to love, the ones who I claim to be a part of. I, I was cheating them. I was sitting at the tax office. That's what my translation says. Your translation may say tax booth. Um, your translation may say he was collecting taxes. Any of those are fine. Um, he's really just showing. Uh, the point is, Matthew was Matthew was collecting taxes, um, and there, there's a there's a disagreement. There's there's always a disagreement. There's a disagreement about uh, what kind of tax collector Matthew was. Was was he a did he collect residential taxes or did he collect customs duties? Like, talk about missing the forest for the trees, man. That's we're talking about the grace of God here. You're worried about what kind of taxes Matthew was collecting. Uh, the point is, Matthew was collecting taxes. He was getting money from people, um, and he was taking a little off the top to, to uh, fund his lifestyle. So Jesus passes by this man, Matthew, or Levi. One of the gospel accounts refers to him as the son of Alphaeus. And he said to him, follow me. Now to the first century Jewish mind, that is crazy. What just happened? A well-respected teacher pointed at a tax collector and said, follow me. Now, generally speaking, um, it was a, a student would approach a teacher, um, usually with uh, some kind of offering, some kind of payment, and say, I would like to be your disciple." But Jesus didn't wait for his disciples to come find him. He went out and he said, follow me. And they did. And they did because what we see here is, is the sovereign God choosing his own disciples, choosing his own people. And this Jesus says to this tax collector, follow me. And anybody watching this, anybody hearing this is like, Jesus, don't you know what this guy does? He's a tax collector. Jesus, I imagine Jesus saying, sweetly, I, I know, because that's a tax booth. And that's where he was sitting. But I want him to follow me. And so, Matthew follows him, so he arose and followed him. And, and this idea that Jesus, that the love of God in Jesus Christ extends even to somebody so on the fringes of Jewish society, someone so outcast. Because if you remember last week, we talked about a little bit about tax collectors, who they were. These were, these were Jews. These were, these were local people who basically had been hired on uh, by the Roman authorities in the area to go around and collect taxes. Um, and the only way they could actually... The only way they could actually make a living was by charging a little bit above the tax that was owed. So there was the tax, and then there was the commission. 
for collecting the tax. And there, it was very common, unfortunately, for corruption to really take, take place in the tax collector's office um, because the more you charged, the more you got to keep. Um, in fact, it was even common for people to bribe tax collectors saying, man, I will just, I'll pay you this much if you just stop collecting taxes for me, man. This was very common, and it was actually a practice that wasn't just offered, but also accepted. So we see here, Jesus, this, so be, because of this, 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 this reputation that tax collectors had, clearly they weren't well-liked. These, these, weren't, these weren't your favorite people. You didn't want to go out, and you didn't go out to your local tax office and say, hey, buddy, man, I know you, you just took literally half of what I have. Why don't we go take the other half, go get some dinner, and, you know, we can just pal around. It didn't happen. You didn't, you didn't want to associate yourself. These people were looked at, looked at as traitors. They, were, they had betrayed the Jewish people. And yet Jesus calls one as one of his disciples. And following this incident, this incident, sorry, Jesus went to Matthew's house, where Matthew threw a little feast. It says, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. Um, your translation may say reclined at the table. That's, that's okay. Um, tables were typically very low surfaces where you just kind of, you leaned forward towards the table and your feet were back out that way. And that's just kind of how you, how you, did, how you ate and how you fellowship around the table. So Jesus is sitting at the table, reclining at the table, whatever your translation says, in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Oh boy, now in the first century Jewish mind, there's some real scandal happening. Not only did Jesus call a tax collector to be one of his disciples, now he's eating in this tax collector's house and he's sitting down to table with other tax collectors. And almost every translation says tax collectors and sinners. That, that's, that's the idea here is that, is that you, had, you had your basic sinners, people who didn't follow the law, people who weren't on Pharisaic level. And then you had tax collectors. Not a big, not a big fan of either of these two groups of people, but but if I had to rank them, mm, sinners, tax collectors, kind of like that. And now Jesus is sitting down and he's receiving them at the dinner table. Now to us, we think that big deal. He had he had dinner with some people. What's the matter? In the first century Jewish mind, to to sup with or to break bread with a person was to essentially to receive them as they are. And many people looked at it as a sign of approval. And so we see here, Jesus is sitting down to dinner with his disciples in the house of a tax collector and other sinners and tax collectors come down and have dinner with Jesus and his disciples. And boy, howdy 
that cause a ruckus. As we see in verse 11, when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is your teacher receiving these low lives? Why is your teacher, your translation, as far as an only one translation does this, it doesn't really translate the passage so much as it kind of really puts it in our vernacular. Um, but this particular translation says, Why is your teacher associating with such scum? Why is your teacher eating with this type of person? Why is he sitting down, fellowshipping, receiving people like this? For, for people, I'm talking about the Pharisees here, for people who were well known for having studied the scriptures, boy, did they miss a lot. For people who were known for their knowledge of the law, for their knowledge of what we refer to as the Old Testament, their knowledge of the Hebrew Bible, they missed so very much. Because what we see here is these people, and remember, in your mind, be thinking back to the parable we talked about last week as well. What we see here is Jesus showing that it is not it is not who you are, who you pride yourself in being. That's not what makes you righteous. What makes you righteous is something completely outside of you. What makes you righteous, the only way you can become righteous, Pharisee or tax collector or anybody in between, is to come to Christ. And these Pharisees missed that. These Pharisees had gotten so high on themselves. They'd gotten so self-righteous that they'd forgotten their need for a Savior. They'd forgotten the actual promises of a coming Messiah and how desperately that need applied to them as well. These Pharisees are saying, why does your teacher eat with these low lives, these scum, forgetting that they themselves fall into that very same category? Tax collectors and sinners. There isn't a single one of us, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, family in Christ, there isn't a single one of us for whom Christ died that was ever in any better circumstance, that was ever in any better situation, station of life, that we could say my need was a little bit less than somebody else's. Every single one of us fell into this category, this lumping together of tax collectors and sinners. This this idea that we are so we were so far outside of the will and the love of God that only God Himself could bring us back. None of us. None of us was in any better position than these people right here that these Pharisees are looking down their noses at. Remember last week's parable. The way that the, before the parable even starts, 
um, the passage started out with Jesus knowing that some believed themselves to be more righteous. And some translation says, look, who looked down at others or treated others with contempt. Then he spoke the parable. That very same attitude that was displayed in that crowd is the very same attitude being displayed here. This idea of, I'm a Pharisee. I, t- I take the law seriously. I do all of these great things. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I am not like other men. I'm not like even these tax collectors. This very same attitude is being presented here, not in a parable, in a very real life situation after the calling of a tax of a tax collector to be one of Christ's disciples. And this attitude is the very thing they don't realize is going to damn them all the way to God's wrath. This very same attitude, this idea that I can make it on my own and I don't need anybody else. I certainly don't need a savior, a messiah, a promised one. I don't need that. That very same attitude is what is going to destroy them. They are so self-righteous that they are blind. And they are blind because of their sin and they and they have not been able to see because they were not called. Jesus didn't call them. He didn't point to them in the temple. He didn't point to them in the synagogue. He didn't point to them in the marketplace where they were spewing their self-righteousness and where they were spewing their condemnation upon other people and say, follow me. He instead went to the one that these very saints were condemning. And he pointed at him and he said, follow me. But because they're blind, they don't know that. So they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? And when Jesus heard that, when your translation starts off that way, when Jesus heard that, you kind of brace yourself. You're like, oh, he's going to bring it. It's going to get serious. And it does. But in a very different way. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, it's been said time and time again. It's it's by people much smarter than me, so I'm going to do my very best to not butcher it. What Jesus is not saying here is that there are those who are well and don't need a doctor. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying here is that those who think of themselves well, those who view themselves as okay are too blind to realize their own need for a doctor because they are very, very ill. 
He's saying those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick. He's not saying, you're doing fine. I didn't come for you. I came for them. He's saying, I came. The doctor is here. You're hacking up a lung and you're convinced that you're okay. That things are working the way they're supposed to. You're doubled over in pain. And you're too proud and arrogant to come to the doctor. He's not saying you're doing okay. Quite the contrary. He's saying you're so sick. And you're so deceived. You don't even know you're sick. You have, for whatever reason, and in whatever way, convinced yourself that this is how the human body is supposed to function. And so you go on because you think that that's as good as it gets. And you think that because that's as good as it gets, you've made it. And you don't need a physician. But those who understand their need... Those who understand, I am not well, I need help. These very same are the ones whom Christ came to heal. Because even that very realization is a gift from God himself. This very realization that I am not well, I need a physician, I need a doctor, I need some help. That very realization is a gift from the physician himself. And this, this what Jesus is saying here is, is I came to call those whom you have no trouble reminding that they're unwell, while you at the very same time can't stop coughing. So these tax collectors and these sinners clearly had a lot of help being told they were not right, being told they were unworthy. The Pharisees were all too eager to jump on that. So yes, they they had assistance here. Because remember, they trusted in themselves. And they looked down and treated others with contempt. Because they believed they were okay. And Jesus instead is saying, I came to treat the sick. I came to treat those who know of their need. And now we come, and the reason why we picked Matthew's account is because he adds a little something that the rest of the accounts kind of, uh, don't add. Um, and it's this first part of verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, if you're quick and you beat me to it, good on you. That's actually a quote. That's a quote from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. This is actually the first time of two times that Matthew actually quotes this particular passage. second one is chapter chapter 12, verse 7. But here, he's quoting uh, Hosea 6, 6. And real quick, we've got time. Real quick, let's uh, let's look at what, what the context of that passage is. Now remember, this is... This is the book of Hosea, which we just started um, actually in our Bible study this morning um, as we we begin our trek through the minor prophets. 
The book of Hosea, if you recall, is actually a book where um, God instructs a prophet, a man, to to marry a harlot, um, a woman of ill repute, a um, a cheating woman, um, and to have start a family with her. And he does this as a kind as an as an illustration of God's relationship with Israel, with His own people. And in the midst of this, we see um, this chapter, or, or this, this particular citation in chapter 6, where um, we'll go ahead and begin with verse 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like that. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What is he saying here? Starting... Starting with with Jesus' reference to this particular passage, remember we talked about earlier missing the forest for the trees with those people who were arguing about you know, what kind of tax collector Matthew was? The Pharisees were doing the exact same thing with the externals of the law, but neglecting the spirit of the law. These Pharisees were so hung up on their rituals and their ceremonies and fasting twice a week and, and, and giving a tenth of all that I possess and, and, and obeying these, these, this ridiculous number of, of extra-biblical laws that we come up with in order to help us follow the Ten Commandments because doing that's really hard. So we come up with all these other things to help make the burden a little easier, but all they really do is weigh us down. And so they're so hung up in these externals and, and looking righteous and, and doing all of these acts that make them look like, appear like, seem like that they are who they're supposed to be when on the inside they're corrupt and that corruption shows in the way they treat people. That corruption shows in the way that they look down and treat with contempt the tax collectors and the sinners, these people, they just lump together in these two phrases because they think they're not worthy of any time or their time of any effort in order to try to help them. So they discard them. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifices. I desire your heart to be right and you to do what is right rather than you will try to fulfill all of these external things of the law in order to just look right. That's the problem. The problem is that these Pharisees have prided themselves on appearance. And in, and in the process, they stepped on and they squashed and they hurt anybody they saw as beneath them. 
providentially. What Jesus quotes here in Hosea 6.6 falls immediately after, immediately after, a call to repentance in Hosea. Come and let us turn to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. This condemnation to the Pharisees that Jesus takes I don't say borrow. He's the word. He's the word of God, so it's his anyways. So he doesn't borrow. He takes. It's his. He can do what he wants to with it. He takes from from the book of Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This falls directly on the heels of a call to repentance, and it's that call to repentance that Jesus is drawing their attention to. He's saying, Pharisees. You do so many things rightly, correctly, but you forget to do what is right. And so with this simple reference, this simple allusion back to Hosea, he's calling them to repentance. And they're too sin-sick to see it. And that's the beauty, brothers and sisters, of the Word of God, because by God's grace, the, the law doesn't come to us by itself. The law doesn't come to us to crush us and to leave us crushed. The law comes to us as a light, as the light of God, to show us the holiness of God. And then the gospel comes to say, when you couldn't meet this standard, God made a way. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I want you to repent of your pride and your self-righteousness. And I want you to turn to the one who is truly righteous and can help you. And Jesus closes out this section by saying, For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now this, so in verse 12 he does the physician illustration. In verse 13, he applies the physician illustration. 
And he says, I did not come to call the righteous or the healthy, the well, but sinners, the sick and the ill to repentance. And again, he's not saying to these Pharisees, you're doing okay. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about them. He's saying, you are sicker than you know that you are. You are you are more sinful than you are willing to admit. You are more sinful than you can even realize. And so much so that as I give this call to repentance, you still think I'm talking about somebody else. Boy, we get caught up in that, don't we? It is so easy. Too easy. To think of any aspect of our lives, or God forbid, our whole life. And to convince ourselves that we're doing okay. But somebody else needs to hear this. There's a story. I don't know how true it is, but there's a story of a of a pastor um, preaches a sermon over sin and repentance, and he preaches the sermon because of certain things going on in his congregation. They're squabbling and fighting, and um, people turning on each other and not acting Christ-like. And so he gives this message over sin and repentance. And at the end of at the end of the, the service, after he stepped down and he waits in the back to shake hands with everybody who passes by, uh, more than a couple of the people he was addressing, without saying their names, more than a couple of, of the people he had in mind while preparing his sermon, come by, shake his hand, and say, "Pastor, that was a great message. I know a couple people who really could have used it." And we can get so caught up in that, in this false notion that we're okay, we've made it. There's no, there's no more room for improvement here. And we can start seeing things that we need, that God so graciously provides and gifts us with. And in sermons, in prayers, in scripture reading, in worship music, That instead of taking those things and by the power and the presence of the Spirit upon God's people internalizing it, instead our first thought is, boy, I know somebody who really needs this. Friends, maybe you do. Maybe you do know somebody who really, who really needed that. But God's pretty amazing and he's probably doing two things with that. And one of them is for you. After this, um, after this particular passage, um, Jesus is questioned by the disciples of John about fasting. And the disciples, these disciples of John saying, they come up to him and they say, we fast, the Pharisees fast, but your disciples 
We don't see them fasting. And Jesus' response to them um, is a couple of parables. Um, but at the, the message behind those parables is that you don't you don't fast, which is a um, which is often a sign of mourning. You don't do that while the bridegroom is with you. When, when the bridegroom is present, that's not a time for mourning. That's not a time for preparation. That's a time for feasting. That's a time for celebration. And and I think that meshes so well here with, with what we're talking about here is that this, this call to repentance, this this. Jesus eating with sinners and with tax collectors. This, this, this isn't. This isn't mourning. Like the, this, the reason for this is because the light of the world has entered into the world. The word of God has broken through and has come in the in the flesh to walk among His people and to be there. Sacrifice. Their one true sacrifice. And on the way, he's calling us all to repentance. That's what he's doing. He's calling his people to repentance. And this this isn't this isn't mournful. This isn't sad. This isn't this isn't something we do regrettably. This is something we do joyously. This is something we do with joy and happiness in our hearts because the repentance, the what we're giving up, the sin, isn't worth keeping. But the eternal life that we're gaining cannot be lost. So this call to repentance is only sad if you don't heed it. But this call to repentance is joyful for God's people, those whom he calls to follow him. And that is my prayer for you today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we lift you up, we glorify you, we praise you, God, we love you. And God, we know we can only do so because you loved us first. So God, as your people, as those whom you have called to follow you, God, we ask, we pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart of perpetual repentance. God, that you would remind us every day that repentance isn't simply one and done. But that the life of the Christian is marked by repentance. So God, lead us into that repentant lifestyle. Empower us, embolden us to turn from these wicked, awful things that we used to love. And turn us to Jesus Christ. better and offers more eternal pleasure and joy than any sin or selfishness could ever.
because all they bring is eternal destruction. We love you, Father. We thank you. And we bless your name. And God, we pray here and now that this call to repentance would not go unheeded. But Lord, instead that you would be pleased to point to yours, point to those who belong to you, tell them to follow you. And then give them the spirit and the power to do so. And may this all be done to your praise, to your honor, and to your glory, Lord. We ask this not for our own name's sake, God, but for your name's sake. We ask this not so that 116 will be well known, Lord, but that so you, you, your name, your gospel, your son, your spirit will be well known. Coming to us will get them saved. Coming to Jesus will get them saved. Following Jesus, that's what will save them. So, Lord, in this time here and now, and as we depart from this place, decrease our own egos, our own selfishness, our own self-centeredness, and God, destroy our self-righteousness, and instead increase in us, by your Spirit, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In Christ Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray.